0: My name is Anat Wilf, and this is the We Should All Be Zionists podcast. Each week, I'll be reading one essay from my latest collection of essays book, We Should All Be Zionists, on issues facing the Jewish people and Israelis today. Conflict, peace, religion, politics, past, present, and future. At the end, I'll be joined by columnist Blake Flayton for a discussion on the themes of the essay, and how they apply to contemporary Israel and Jewish life. You can purchase your own copy of We Should All Be Zionists anywhere you get your books. Thanks for listening. Let's start. <laughs> Israel doesn't need liberal Judaism. It needs liberalism. Op-ed co-authored with Ram Fromen for Forward, October 2018. Several years ago, I had the honor of speaking at a conservative synagogue in New York City. I was asked why, as a proud Israeli feminist, I am not mobilized for the cause of the women of the wall. I admitted that while I am a feminist, I am also a devout atheist, and the importance of praying to a God who does not exist next to the ruins of an outer support wall was entirely alien to me. The members of the congregation were visibly shocked by my response, and I was shocked that they were shocked. But our mutual astonishment actually clarified something for me. Liberals seem to have no idea that when they push for religious pluralism in Israel by focusing on religion rather than on pluralism, they are actually shooting themselves in the foot. For in so doing, they are seeking a coalition with the very people, religious Israelis, who will never accept them. In fact, these accusations are nothing new. For years, American Jews have argued that the state of the Jews is not truly a home for all Jews, lacking the religious pluralism they find in the diaspora. And yet, most Israeli Jews have no idea what they're talking about. As far as Israelis are concerned, they have an incredibly pluralistic society reflecting multiple religious practices, sects, subsects, and ethnicities. Israeli Jews are remarkably tolerant of a host of different modes of practical ritualistic expression. One can be a devout atheist, shrimp eating, Shabbat driving Jew, or a fanatical carry out all the mitzvahs one, and all are citizens of the Jewish state. As a society, Israelis really could care less how citizens express their religious identity, Jewish or otherwise. Of course, this is not what liberal American Jews want when they ask for more pluralism. What they mean is having equal standing in the public and political sphere for conservative and reformed Judaism, which are all but foreign concepts to Israelis. This distinction is based on a rather fundamental difference in the historical development of Judaism in the U.S. and Israel. It was a colleague of the Jewish People Policy Institute, Professor Shlomo Fischer, who elucidated this phenomena for us in his superb essay, American Jews are Protestants, Israeli Jews are Catholics. There, Fisher explains that the liberal Jewish-American conception of religion developed in a uniquely American context, where religion is viewed as a personal choice and a form of individual self-expression, officially separate from the political sphere. For American Jews, as for Americans more generally, religion is compatible with pluralism, civil rights, and democracy. Meanwhile, Israelis following the European model came to view democracy, civil liberties, or pluralism as requiring the overthrow of religion. As opposed to American Jews, for Israelis, religious identity is not really a matter of individual choice or conviction. Rather, it goes along with one's national, ethnic, or political identity, writes Fisher. In Israel... Jewishness is not an individual choice but part and parcel of the public political sphere it wasn't always so in the early years in the early years of the state of israel the cultural elite was secular even militantly atheist Under the mistaken assumption that Zionism had completed the reform of Judaism, the question of religion in the public sphere was viewed as the purview of small marginal groups, which would quickly be swept by the forward march of history into secularism. Unfortunately, Ben-Gurion was wrong to think that religion would evaporate. These days, the secular Zionist Labor Party has ceded power to a coalition of religious nationalists, ultra-religious horatim, and religious traditionalists. As a result, Judaism itself moved from the margin to the center, becoming a key factor, perhaps the key factor, in Israeli politics. This was a key insight employed by Netanyahu in the 1996 elections, that attitudes toward Jewish religious practice were the single greatest determinant of one's political leaning. He has written that insight to the polls again and again, allowing Jewish religion to become the means through which retrograde ideas, illiberal values, and increasingly supremacist ideologies, promote and cement inequality between Jews and non-Jews and between men and women. The universal idea that religious sensitivities are somehow sacrosanct has led them to be used to impose increasingly stringent forms of segregation against women. The Jewish religious male is posited as the superior being for whom all allowances must be made. Under the guise that religious men somehow are deeply offended by the presence of women in the public sphere, women have been pushed to the back of some buses that go through religious neighborhoods, prevented from serving in several roles in the military, and increasingly forced to follow modesty codes so as not to offend religious male soldiers. Religious arguments also underpin opposition to full LGBTQ equal rights and in general oppose any kind of family form that is not Jewish male, Jewish female, Jewish children. Liberal American Jews, accustomed to the American tradition of religion in the service of liberal values and progress, have observed these developments with dismay and incomprehension and perhaps even denial. They believe that the Jewish religion could play a different role in Israel. They are wrong. An American philanthropist recently shared with Rom his frustration at the fact that whenever and wherever he sees something wrong in Israel, in the treatment of women, of non-Jews, and expressions of racism and hatred, he also sees a rabbi. This is not a coincidence. This is not an aberration. This is the role of Jewish religion in Israel. If American Jews are ever to find a home for their brand of Judaism in Israel, their goal cannot be support for a kinder, gentler type of Jewish religion in the public and political sphere, commensurate with their liberal values. Their goal should be no religion at all. What American Jews get wrong about Israeli liberalism? Liberal American Jews will only be effective in securing a home in Israel for their brand of Jewish practice if their goal is to secure the Zionist project of a national secular Jewish existence. Unlike in America, in Israel, liberal values can only be promoted in the context of secularism. As a broad rule, There are individual exceptions, of course. The more secular Israelis will uphold liberal values and vice versa. Therefore, as secularism becomes politically stronger in Israel, so will liberal values. A more secular Israel is a more liberal Israel. A more religious Israel is a more illiberal one. It is as simple as that. That is the choice. Having badly defined the goal towards a kinder, gentler Jewish religion in the public sphere in Israel, American Jews have also chosen the least effective strategy possible. They have sought recognition for their brand of Judaism, whether in matters of conversion, marriage, or prayer at the Kotel, from the very same authorities that have been given monopoly power over these matters by the state, principally the chief rabbinate the rabbinate will never, ever cede its power. No monopoly in the history of monopolies has ever given up or shared power voluntarily. Just ask AT&T. American Jews have been behaving like the frustrated customers of a corrupt monopoly. You do not ask a monopoly to treat you nicely. You break up a monopoly with force. Above all, If American Jews are to effect change in Israel to make room for their brand of pluralism, they need numbers. No political change is ever possible without numbers. And there are no numbers in Israel for the kind of Judaism that Americans have in America. To get the big numbers, liberal American Jews have to decide who their actual potential allies are— If they seek Israeli Jews who will have a positive attitude towards religion, then they are likely to be non-liberal Orthodox Jews who reject their form of practice completely. If they seek Israeli Jews who will share their values of pluralism, equality, tolerance, feminism, and liberalism, they are, by and large, likely to be the shrimp-eating, Shabbat-driving Jews whose attitudes to religion range from revulsion to apathy. If conservative reform and generally liberal American Jews seek partners in Israel who share both their liberal values and positive attitude towards religion, they will limit themselves to a pool of citizens that is barely likely to get one seat in the Knesset. Liberal American Jews have wasted hundreds of millions of dollars trying to shore up reform and conservative Judaism in Israel to no avail. They celebrate the increase in numbers from next to nothing to little more than nothing. But fundamentally, Israel is not the soil for that kind of Judaism, which appeals almost exclusively to Olim from the West, who over time revert to the dominant Zionist ethos. As a result, American Jews have been financing micro-operations that will never be able to make a real impact on Israeli society. It is understandable that donors appreciate promoting the values they care for in the specific form they are accustomed to, but it has zero impact on Israeli society. Worse, Having long ago understood that they have no chance to convert religious Orthodox Israeli Jews to their kind of pluralistic Judaism, American Jews have instead pivoted to trying to convert Israeli secular Jews to their brand of religion. The tragedy is that in doing so, they have unwittingly contributed to strengthening their religious Orthodox illiberal enemies. Consider a parallel in the Second Amendment in America. Imagine an international organization seeking to convince NRA members to limit the exercise of the Second Amendment to pistols. Now imagine that once it becomes clear that America's gun-owning community would never warm up to limiting their love of guns to pistols, the organization instead redirects its energy towards convincing the Americans who loathe and fear guns to warm up to the idea of carrying pistols. American Jews might recoil at the parallel between Jewish religion and guns. But in the Israeli context, that is the proper parallel. In Israel, the Jewish religion has been weaponized in the service of illiberalism and supremacism. Any support for religion of any kind only provides fuel for such values. This is what American Jews have been unwittingly supporting in the past several decades. Illiberal Religion versus Liberal Secularism A prime example of this dangerous process has been the American Jewish support for the introduction of additional Jewish studies into secular schools. The Israeli school system is divided into several systems, determined by the level of religiosity of their communities. The religious schools promote strict Orthodox practices and place a strong emphasis on Jewish religious studies. American Jews have no chance of penetrating this system to promote liberal values. But the secular system is naturally open and liberal, so it has been the long-standing desire of the right-wing religious coalition in Israel to eliminate this open and liberal character since they consider it a threat to their illiberal and supremacist politics. Their most effective weapon to that end is to reduce as much as possible the study of general and universal humanities in favor of an increased amount of Jewish studies. In one of the greatest acts of self-defeating philanthropy, American Jews have underwritten numerous programs both in schools and an informal education system intended to introduce nice religious Judaism into the curriculum. But there is no such thing in the Israeli context. Introducing religious studies to secular schools, even of the nice kind, contributes to a more religious Israel, and in Israel, Jewish religion cannot be dismantled from the orthodox and illiberal manner in which it is practiced. This is the choice. If liberal American Jews want to be effective, they need to understand the simple fact that in the Israeli-Zionist context, the choice is between illiberal religion and liberal secularism, none other. Instead of these self-defeating measures, liberal American Jews should support all of the various battles actual Israelis living in Israel wage on behalf of greater secularization and less religion in public sphere. This means resisting all efforts to introduce religion of any kind into Israel's public secular schools. This means fighting for the teaching of evolution. It means supporting the numerous grassroots efforts of Israeli parents to keep religion out of their children's school books and to keep religious volunteers out of provision of extracurricular activities in school. It also means supporting public transportation on Shabbat for those municipalities that seek it. Imagine if in addition to having the names of donors on ambulances, they would be on buses providing services on Shabbat. It means supporting the promotion of full equality for LGBTQ citizens, especially on matters of family life. It means supporting the current legal battle against the prohibition on individuals bringing flower products into hospitals during Passover. It means especially standing firmly behind those who fight for the equality of women and men in the military and against any notion that consideration for feelings of religious soldiers should somehow come to mean discrimination against female soldiers. American Jews need to also stop trying to get crumbs of recognition from the chief rabbinate. They should seek to sideline it completely. The goal should not be to get the state to allow reform and conservative rabbis to perform marriages in Israel. The goal should not be an additional prayer area next to the kotel. The goal should be breaking up the rabbinate's monopoly altogether on matters of conversion, marriage, kashrut, and yes, the kotel. Secular Israelis are never going to politically mobilize in great numbers for the specific goal of the state of Israel funding conservative and reformed rabbis or conservative and reformed mikvahs. Secular Israelis want the state to not fund rabbis and mikvahs at all. In a secular Israel... Liberal American Jews will have no problem finding a home for their brand of Jewish practice. In an Israel of civil unions, their rabbis, just like anyone else, will be able to perform ceremonies for those who want them. In a national secular kotel, American Jews will be able to pray how they want and see fit because there will be no rabbi to regulate them. In an Israel that doesn't fund rabbis and mikvahs, Any community that wants to fund their kind of religious services and practice would be able to do so. This is the only kind of Israel that would be a home to all Jews from all around the world. It is high time that American liberal Jews join forces with secular Israelis for a secular Zionist Israel. The future of the relationship between liberal American Jews and Israeli Jews depends on American Jews understanding the toxic role of religion in Israel and redefining the goal ruthlessly towards a secular Israel.
1: Okay, so Enat, just before you began to read this essay... I began to explain to you how the first time I read it, it felt like heresy. It felt sinful to read it and to absorb your ideas. Because growing up in a capital R Reformed Jewish community... You know, my family went to synagogue twice a year. I went to summer camp every year, a Jewish summer camp. But that Jewish summer camp was very hippy-dippy. It was in, like, the forests of Oregon. And we just, you know, sang Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know, mm-hmm. a lot and, and roasted marshmallows. I'm not even sure if they were kosher marshmallows. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is such a thing. I know. <laughs> um and so it, it shocked me, really, to my core, because this kind of goes against the ethos of everything that I learned growing up, that if only Israel had more religious pluralism and tolerance, you know, we were... Taught to support women of the wall with our full chests. We were taught to support, you know, LGBT people who wore the kippot with our full chests. And and it was, it was a it was a really progressive movement. And and my synagogue would do delegations to Israel, and various organizations would send people to Israel to meet with fellow reform and conservative Jews. And after reading this, I realized that there weren't really that many, and perhaps we were, you know, misled. And I guess my question after all of this observation is, why is it that American Jews, liberal American Jews, ascribe to this form of Judaism so strongly? It, 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 it really defines Judaism for us. It's how we connect. It's how we engage with one another. But it's something so alien to Israeli Jews of the, of the more liberal stream. What in our history made one community go one way and the other community go another
0: So here the explanation is still best made by uh, Professor Shlomo Fisher, the one that I quoted in the article, that um, Reform Judaism uh, began in Central Europe, but really succeeded on American soil. Uh, generally a country that has a kind of capitalist vision of religion, where if you don't like your synagogue, you can open another synagogue, you have your options, you can go and shop for a synagogue that would be just right, a community that would be exactly to your values. Um, and uh, and also historically, religion in America was associated with progressive causes, of course, the abolition of slavery, civil rights, you have religious leaders, um, only as an adult did I see how American Jews were deeply attached to the idea of Rabbi Heschel mm-hmm. with Martin Luther King. Again, so religion as, if, as kind of being something that is commensurate with progress, with liberal values, is very strong in the American context. And as a general feature of America, not just American Jews, Americans tend to assume that what works in America is the standard. Uh, And they just assume that this is how it is. A lot of my work in meeting with uh, American groups that come here is to disabuse them of the notion that America is a standard. And often I have to let them know that in a lot of issues, America is the exception rather than the rule. So American Jews have come to assume that the way that they uh, express Judaism in America is Judaism. Mm -hmm. rather than understanding that it's particularly American in a very specific American context. And Israel developed in the European, more Catholic context, as uh, Shlomo describes it, where in order to have progress, you actually had to bring down the church. So progress actually depended on killing religion. Mm -hmm. And it's better perhaps understood in the idea of anti-clericalism, In being against the entire religious establishment, that you had to bring that down if you were going to have liberal, progressive, basically if you're going to be a modern person. Um, And that's what you have uh, in Zionism. Sometimes I tell to reformed Jews, Zionism is our reform of Judaism. We're reformed Jews. There's no need for anything additional. Mm -hmm. That's how we reformed Jewish life by creating this secular nation-based idea. And of course, you can't have capitalism here. You can't have a choice because there's one Israel. Israel is our synagogue, so to speak. So you can't choose. Uh, This goes back to our discussion about democracy. We're stuck with each other in this synagogue. Yes, everyone wants to go and establish another Israel and people are thinking maybe we'll do it in Cyprus or in Greece. (laughs) But essentially, we're stuck here and we're stuck arguing with each other and yelling at each other about how we're going to shape this one Jewish state.
1: You mentioned that the rabbinate maintains a monopoly over Jewish life and, you know, that it's not a capitalist system. If you don't like Jewish religion, then you can be secular and, you know, you can choose to practice religion any way you want, but there's not a, a vast array of choices, you know, organizations and community life where everyone has their own different interpretations, et cetera, um... But how optimistic are you in the year 2023 that secular Israelis, or maybe just traditional Israelis, or even religious Israelis who don't like the rabbinate's authority, because there are some, how optimistic are you that we have a shot at decentralizing that power? Because like you said, they're not going to give it up. It has to be forced from them. It has to be strangled from them. Uh, But you know, the way demographically that things are shaping up on the ground. I know demographics are, it's a hot button issue, but just being practical, you know, in 30 years, we're going to be looking at a different Israeli public than even what we're looking at now. So how, what do you see the future shaping up to be?
0: So first, it's important to understand that the power of the rabbinate is not some spiritual power. It's the power of the state. Mm -hmm. Just like the state gives the monopoly to phones or electricity, it gave the rabbinate the monopoly. So the monopoly doesn't have some independent source of power that people look up to it as some kind of spiritual guy. Like, absolutely not. It's literally... A monopoly, again, Shlomo says, when Israel, we say religious services. He says that's what they provide. They provide religious services. It's not some spiritual guidance. Mm -hmm. And that power was given to them by the state, and the state can take that power. This is where we go back to the discussion that this is the parliament of the state of Israel that has given them that power. And if we're going to take away that power, we need to do it in the parliament of the state of Israel. Now, how optimistic I can be, the directions, you see signs in all directions. So my partner to writing this uh, essay, Ron Fromman, he is at the forefront now of uh, really promoting the idea of secular Israelis disentangling themselves from the state. Mm-hmm. as much as possible, maybe not as far as a complete autonomy or, you know, Swiss cantons, but uh, first and foremost, making sure that the Israeli secular education system is closed to any religious interference. Uh, so he's completely of the view that we need to accept that secular Israelis, even if they're a plurality, they're a minority. And they have to stop thinking that the state belongs to them. It doesn't. The state in many ways is almost antagonistic to their way of life. And now they have to operate like a defensive group rather than they were in the beginning of the state, the assumption that we are shaping the state, the religious ones are the ones to disappear. Uh, And he says maybe in the future, once we defend ourselves, secure our schools, secure our cities, they're talking about creating, uh, ironically, on the model of the Yesha Council, the council of the towns in the West Bank, mm-hmm. to create a council of liberal cities, of secular cities, that will basically oppose the government on any religious impositions. So he takes a, a much kind of... You could say both a darker and optimistic view because he's actually offering a path forward, but it's a path forward that depends on accepting harsh realities about us being a minority and having to defend ourselves. I uh, look at the fact, clearly what's happening in Israel's streets, um, it's really not about the judicial issue. A lot of it is exactly on this thing where secular Israelis are looking at a government composed of literally their nightmares. So uh, extreme ultra-Orthodox Jews and supremacist Jews who are all doing so in the name of Judaism. And it's not a coincidence that secular Israelis are speaking in the name of the Israeli flag, the Declaration of Independence, the military, the kind of the classic symbols of secular Israel, and saying, this is the Israel we're going to fight for. We're not going to fight for some Taliban country.
1: Right. And, you know, I wrote an article a couple months ago in the Jewish Journal uh, called, I Go to Shul on Kaplan Street.
0: I loved it. Yes. And it,
1: thank you. And it was really from the heart because essentially my decision to make Aliyah, and this goes into more of the reform Judaism question and not really, is it sustainable, is it sustainable in Israel? Is it possible in Israel? But is it even sustainable in America? Because before I made Aliyah, before I made the decision, I lived in two places first in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, which is a Hasidic neighborhood. It's obviously the headquarters of Chabad. Um, And, you know, I walked around every day and and I loved it. And it was a wonderful experience for me. And I got to, you know, see everyone scrambling around, picking up groceries on Friday mornings. And there was music and there was communities and there was a dinner table every week. And it was wonderful. But I couldn't obviously mesh or fit in with the people (laughs) who I had met there because there's not really an observant bone in my body. Um, they no fault of my own, I'm convinced. That's just the way I was wired. Um, and then I moved to the Lower East Side, which in the beginning of the 20th century, at the end of the 19th century, it was where one-tenth of all the world's Jews lived. And it was a beacon of Jewish culture. There was, and it needn't, it, it needn't be religious because there was Jewish playwriting. There was hundreds of magazines and newspapers. There was comedy, there was uh, uh, communal life, there was Yiddish, which was a huge unifier, you know, Mm -hmm. because people still spoke Yiddish. Uh, And I moved to the Lower East Side and I found all of that to be more than more often than not, evaporated. Because even though the streets are still named after rabbis, even though there are still delis, and even though there are still Megan David's, you know, on top of the old tenement buildings, and even though there are still Jews who live there... The Jews who live there, the young Jews who live there, grew up in communities like mine, where our interpretation of Judaism was social justice in the United States. You know, we even skipped services on Saturday morning during the Trump era to go to the Women's March because that those were our services, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and a lot of these kids now are virulently anti-Israel. And their interpretation of Judaism is kind of, you know, bagels and locks when they go home to their parents' house and maybe, you know, fasting on Yom Kippur and making jokes about it and curly hair and, you know, the whiny, complainy Jewish mom stereotype, and then it sort of ends there. There's really no depth to it, and it's kind of revulsion at anything authentically particularly Jewish, which was not how it was in Lower East Side, even without religion— so, it wasn't sustainable for me. And both paths weren't sustainable because I didn't fit in either one. And I saw Israel as the place where the third way was open. It was, you know, where you could be Jewish, fully Jewish, just by living here and speaking Hebrew and sending your children to the army and, you know, complaining that the McCulloch is closed on Saturdays. So, obviously, this is, you know, depressing that we're now facing a situation which you just mentioned where you know, the secular Israelis are now on defense, but I was wondering if you could provide some insight into, you know, is, is, is this form of Judaism sustainable anywhere? Is it sustainable in the United States? And should these people who feel it is not consider moving here?
0: So, I don't know much in terms of commenting on whether it's sustainable in the United States. I, I once had this observation that the more that American Jews became American, more America became more Jewish. Uh, and there in America, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just broadly, kind of, you know, you saw more Jews represented in America, and America felt like less WASPy and more mm-hmm. Jewish over time, and it was comfortable to be American and Jewish, and it didn't feel that you were separated in any way or set aside, and in many ways, that's a huge achievement. Uh, but of course, there's sometimes a sense. By which any kind of particular or sometimes it's even described as tribal identity might threaten that belonging to America, uh I have a colleague who said that when you go to any african American museum Native American museum, there is a celebration of those cultures, and he said when you go to any American Jewish museum, it's about America like they they right. celebrate America exactly um. Maybe, and I can understand that, just this amazement that there's this huge continent and country where, like, things appear to be different and they feel different. Uh, there are some interesting efforts now, I think, led by Rabbi Ami Hirsch to kind of recharge Reform Judaism with the connection with Israel, still keep a lot of the other social justice values, but... Go back and have pride in Zionism and attachment to Israel, not run away from these issues. I think that's a valuable effort. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, obviously, I continue to be bullish on the idea of Zionism and secular Zionism and a Jewish state. Uh, I always like people who say things are not sustainable, and I say, okay, but what is? So tell me what's instead. Uh, To just say that something you think will not succeed, fine, but what do you think uh, will replace it? And again, that's where I draw optimism from the demonstrations that I think a lot uh, of—and the fact that it's clearly a lot of secular people in the streets—I think they're doing it precisely because they understand how remarkable it is to have a Jewish state that's also modern and liberal— and they know that it's not something that they could easily replace with something else.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you would you maybe encourage secular Jews to make Aliyah if they can't find oh. that Jewishness that they're looking for? Because, as I said, the two options, either assimilation into kind of a squishy, apologetic Judaism and a strict, observant Judaism... Is this third way still an option that they could consider
0: if that's what's valuable for them? certainly, I mean, immigration to any country is not easy. You know that, and you are doing it as a young person. uh it's not easy for anyone. Israel was never for the faint of heart, Uh, but if someone wants to live a life where they actually care a bit about tribalism, and I think that's a much bigger topic about the fact that there is a real human need for a tribe, uh, and you want to do it in a way that's still modern and part of the world, Israel is one of the best bets you're going to have
1: but they shouldn't bring their reform or conservative Judaism with them and attempt to proselytize it to secularism. Exactly.
0: Servants. I mean, they're welcome to be who they are, and they can be who they are in Israel. I mean, I have friends who've yeah. made Aliyah and their reform and conservative Jews, but just like people who complain to me about the Israeli system of government, especially if they come from the U.S. or the British system, and they're always like, where's my senator? Where's my congressman? Where's my MP? And I'm like, let it go. This is not the system here. So in the same way, um, they should just let go of the notion that Reform Judaism makes collectively sense in Israel. Privately, sure, but collectively,
1: probably not. And as my last question sort of encapsulates the themes broadly of what we're talking about, what is your take on the phrase "takunolam"? olam? Um...
0: Look, I, I, it's it's always this balance because I think Jewish universalism is incredibly valuable. Uh, every people, not just Jews. Uh, there was a comedy once in Britain where this family's of Indian origin, and everyone's like, he's Indian, he's Indian, he's Indian. <laughs> I'm like, so every people likes to take pride in the contribution of their people to humanity. And I think that's a valuable element. But I think for Israelis, and that's perhaps also a darker side, we've seen that at the critical moment, all our contributions to humanity didn't defend us. So there's a sense like that what will defend us is an army and a state. And then Israel, I'm sure you know, Israel is obsessed with making contributions to humanity and water and agriculture and bringing uh, light to African villages. And uh, Israelis are obsessed with contributing, you know, Hatzalah and earthquakes and helping, but... We don't replace the notion that if we contribute to the world, the world will somehow take care of us in return. We've learned that that doesn't happen, so we need to take care of our own and contribute to the world.
1: Right. It's that balance. Before you go, you know, put out a fire in someone else's house, make sure that your house is not on fire. Exactly. You know? Okay, great. Uh, well, those are some fascinating insights. And again, like the last essay, there's definitely a lot to keep in mind. As you know, Anshel Feffer recently in Haaretz called the uh, the the Hafka note a, a secular uprising, Absolutely. the demonstrations, which caused a lot of you know discourse online and in the Israeli media. So uh, these these are all topics to keep in mind as as the news breaks every day.
0: Maybe I'll say uh, just one thing. When this article came out, I was a little annoyed that a lot of Reform and Conservative Jews thought it was me speaking against Reform and Conservative Judaism, which really I'm not. I'm actually trying to help them. I'm trying to tell them what they can do so that what they want to feel at home in Israel will happen. So this is my opportunity to clarify that the essay was written in that spirit.
1: Bidiuk. (laughs) (laughs) do <laughs> <laughs>